We are in John 17, if you'll turn there. Next Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, please would you pray for the pastor's conference. It's going to be here in the sanctuary. It's the largest one we've had. Pastors are coming from, I think, 35 different states, about seven different countries. And uh, you scatter them back when they leave here around the world if, if they've come to a fresh relationship with the Holy Spirit. They've been filled and challenged and fed and renewed. It affects hard to imagine the number of people it affects as they go back to these churches everywhere. So if you would, I would ask selfishly, because I'm, I'm, I'm a senior pastor, pray for the pastors, assistant pastors as they come. Father, we look to you as we open this chapter again. Lord, uh, you've put it to the page. You've sent it to the year 2023, so we could be here with this prayer today, Lord. So we could look at what transpires between you and the Son, Lord Jesus, between you and the Father. And you wanted us to hear and you wanted us to know, Lord, this is, it transcends our Understanding, And yet, Lord, we know by your Holy Spirit, you can give us our portion this day. We delight, Lord, to move in to this prayer again. And we ask that you would, Lord, give that, Lord, to us today that um, would keep us and renew us and encourage us, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen. John chapter 17, we've come as far as verse 8. But we'll back up because verse 7 sets the stage for what he says there. Now, they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we, as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. None of them is lost, but the son of perdition that the scripture may be fulfilled. And now come I to thee. These things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. So the Lord says the reason he's spoken these things out loud in verse 13 is so that we could have record of them, so we could hear them, so that we could read them. And in the context of what he has prayed and said, that we might experience joy. And we are in a world, certainly, that lacks joy. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is dependent on external circumstances. And happiness is a wonderful thing. But it, it, 
there are you know ebbs and tides of it. But joy is something steadfast. It's in it's an internal, and it's not dictated by outward circumstances. He wants us to have joy. Part of that is, he says, because we get to hear these things that he prays. And he's praying here for us to be kept, for there to be a divine keeping in regards to our lives, which to me is a wonderful thing. He says here in verse 7, They have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. They know that all of this, Father, has come from you. For the reason I have given to them the words which you gave me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. So he says here they've they believed and received. They've received the words, plural, remata, that you've given me. To speak to them. The words of Christ, they're so sweet to us today. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, we think of all of the things he said. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We think of all the wonderful things that he's spoken to us. And he, he said, Father, they have received the words that you've given me. And he said, and they believe that I came out from thee. And thou didst send me on a mission. Understand, volitional. I came out from thee. That was something Jesus did of his own, his own desire. I came out from thee, and thou didst send me. The mission, the commission, was something of heaven. So the coming of the Son, the commissioning of the Father. And and understand, to these Jewish boys, what a large picture this was. They believed in God. It wasn't like he had to convince these Jewish boys to believe in God. They believed in Yahweh. They believed there was one God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. He didn't have to convince them of that. What he had to convince them of is the fact that he came out from the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And it was the Father that sent him on that mission. That was the challenge. And they had embraced that. They had received it. Understand this picture here, because Pilate didn't believe. They believed. Herod didn't believe. Sadducees and Pharisees, the Sanhedrin as a whole, did not believe. Saul of Tarsus did not believe. Gamaliel did not believe. The Romans did not believe. But in the midst of all of that, there's eleven. There's this small group that are a delight to the Lord's heart. They're an oasis in a desert of insanity and unbelief in, the, in that world. And I think it's important for you and I to understand that. It says, he, he says, I want them to hear the prayer. That's why I'm speaking out loud. That, you know, a lot of people come to church here, of course, but we're only 11. Compared to the unbelieving world that's around us, we're only a handful And just like this picture, Caesar didn't believe, Washington doesn't believe, Pilate doesn't believe, local officials may not believe. You know, all around the world there may be reasons why people don't believe. The culture doesn't believe. The morals don't believe that we live in the middle of. 
But that doesn't mean that because there's few of us, we're not right, that we don't have the truth. And he's saying, I want to pray this because I want them to hear it. I want it to be an encouragement to them. We're going to see as he moves on the way he prays for us. He says in verse 9, he says, I pray for them. That's these, this small group that have believed and received. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me for because... Notice he says this, they are thine and all mine are thine and thine are mine and I am glorified in them. He says, I pray for them, not praying for the world. Literally, I am praying. And then it says, I pray not. It's not concerning. They're both present tenses. I am praying, he says. Father, this is what I'm doing right now. You're hearing from me. I am praying for them. Not praying, what you're hearing now is not me praying for the world. And he says, Praying for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. All mine are thine. What's yours is mine. I am glorified in them. So he's, he says in this prayer, he's praying for them. Look, the world at this point, he's not praying for the world, is not going to change course. The world within a few hours is going to have done its worst, killing the Son of God. He's not praying for the world. He's praying for the disciples, certainly this group of 11, but for us as well, because it's going to tell us, down in verse 20, neither I pray these for the, praying for these alone, but for them also that shall believe on me through their word. That's us. So he's also praying for us this morning as he prays these things. And he's stepping closer and closer to the cross as he does it. He's praying for his disciples, not for the world, because he, he can pray that his father would sustain the faith of his disciples. He can't pray that his father will sustain the faith of the world because the world had no faith. The only way the world was going to have faith was if God would keep these 11 and through their word, the world would believe. Jesus is not telling us here that he only loves this small group of guys and he doesn't care about the world. He had told us in chapter three, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Over in the same prayer, in verse 23, he says, I in them, thou in me, that they may be made complete in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. He wants the world to know. But he says, at this point, Father, I'm praying for them. And I'm praying that you're going to keep them. I'm not praying for the world. The world was beyond, at this point in time, genuine belief and salvation. He's praying for the group that will bring that to the world. And because God was faithful and kept those 11, then we see it come to Saul of Tarsus. We see it come to Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. We see it come across the, the, 
the, the, in, in front of Gamaliel, whatever he did with that. We see it come to Jerusalem. We see historians tell us by the time Jerusalem was torn down in 70 AD, half the population of Jerusalem was believing in Jesus. So he says, here, Father, this is the more important thing. This group, that you would keep them. I'm praying for them. He knew the hours that were ahead of them at this point in time. I want you to keep them, Father. I'm praying for them. The world doesn't understand. And look, because every believer, the, the reason it's utmost important that we realize that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever and that he's still praying for us today, is this is not our home. And every believer, he's saying here, I'm coming home. They're still going to be in the world. And every believer in this world is going to face things that would cause us to doubt our faith. Lord Jesus, my kid has cancer. How can you let this happen? Lord, I just got their support from the doctor. Lord, my wife just cheated. My husband just cheated. Lord, my best friends have turned away. Lord, I just got fired. Lord, they've taken the house because I couldn't make the mortgage payments. Lord, there's one thing after another in this world, in this life, that can challenge our hearts and say, where's the love of Jesus? He doesn't love you. No, no, the truth is he's praying for us. That's the truth right now. And he's praying that our faith doesn't fail. He doesn't say that he's praying that we never get sick, we never have a hardship, we never get in a car wreck, we never go to a hospital, we never have you know, difficulty with other human beings. What he's praying for is that his father would keep our faith, that in all of those things we would still believe, because this is not our home. Nobody believed more than him, and he's footsteps away from the cross and brutality. And his faith was not challenged at all. So he says, he's praying. He says, Father, I'm not praying for the world. It doesn't say he doesn't care about the world. We know he, he does. But he says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine. They, they're yours, Father, those that you've put into my hands. And all mine, all is neutered there, it means everything, Father, that is mine. Time, space, earth, matter, cities, civilizations, these 11 human beings, past, present, future, all mine are thine. And thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. By the way... That is a, I stand glorified is the sense of it. I am already been glorified. Um, I stand glorified. The tense is here. Um, look, that night Peter's going to deny him, cursing, cursing himself. That night the other ten are going to flee and forsake him. All kinds of things are going to go wrong. But he says the fact that he is already glorified in them. Already. Because as he sees them, he's the God that calls things that are not as though they were, we're told in Romans. As he sees them, he had changed Peter's name to stone, rock, 
But when he looks at Peter, he doesn't see a stone or the other ones. He sees a diamond cut, polished, glistening. He looks at these 11 and he sees what you and I will see one second after the trumpet blows and we're raptured. We will see them complete. We'll see them in their glory. And he here already sees them that way. And he says, Father, I am already glorified in them. He sees the end. And as he looks across this room and he sees us with all our lumps and our bumps and our scars and, you know, we look kind of beat up. We're limping along, you know, that they picture the, you know, the patriots all hobbling, playing a flute. You know, he sees us and says, I'm already glorified in him because he sees us finished. Our inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, faith not away, is reserved. He wouldn't reserve it for us if we weren't going to get there. So he sees us the same way. He says, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those that you've given me, Father. Everything, you know, of mine is thine. All things, all that's yours is mine. And he says, in, in all of that, I am glorified, he says, in them. And now, verse 11... I am no more in the world. Isn't it interesting? He sees himself as already beyond the present world. Now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. So, on the basis of what he said now, through 6 to 10, it's introductory for these two requests he's going to make here remarkably. Um, he says, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee... It's a present tense there. I am a perfect tense. I am coming to you. It already stands. It's in place. I am already coming. That's because on this night, Judas had already gathered his posse. They were already on the way to take Jesus. The wood for the cross had already been cut. The nails for his hands and feet had already been forged. The spear in the Roman's hand that would pierce his side was already made. The kangaroo court and the false prosecutors and the accusations and the liars and the mob that was screaming, crucify him, crucify him, the Roman soldiers the mechanism was already in place, just waiting to be started. As far as he sees, all of that is already in place. It's ready to go. And he says, I am already coming to thee. You think he's talking to his father. He had, said, he had prayed that he might have that glory that he shared with him before the universe existed for the glory that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And, and we can just sit back and think, look, what is in the heart of Jesus when he's saying to the Father, all of what you have is mine, all of what I have is yours. 
and I'm already on my way home. But they're still in the world. And the thing is, Jesus loved these 11 men more than any human being has ever loved his best friends. Jesus loves these 11 men more than any parent has ever loved their children. It pales in significance. Jesus loves these 11 men more than any groom has ever loved a bride. And think what it means for him to be saying, Father, I'm no longer in the world, but they are. My kids, my bride, my friends. Think of what in the divine heart must be taking place. They're still here, Father. I'm leaving now. They are here. I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I am in the process already of coming to you. And then he calls them Holy Father, only place in the Bible. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those who thou hast given me that, second request, they may be one as we are. So two requests. He says, Father, I, I want you to keep them. I'm no longer in the world. I know you can do it. And he says here, keep them through thine own name. Holy Father. It's interesting. When Jesus addresses the Father, the, 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 the level of personal relationship, he just says, Father. When he talks to his father about us and him protecting us and keeping us, he says, holy father. Holy means separate, completely separate from anything the world knows. He's speaking to holy father in his sanctifying work. Holy father, keep them. Through thy name, through thy onama again, which is the word that describes character, nature, everything that you are. Jesus here is asking the Father to keep us safe in the context of his character, not in the context of your character or my character. Isn't that wonderful? That our security is not based on the quality of our character, but it is based on the quality of the Holy Father's character. How remarkable. How remarkable. How many times have we been fallen apart and put back together again? How many times have we been picked up, dusted off, and put back on our path again, back on the way again? He says, they're in the world. I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. That's a finished work. You've given them to me. We know the Father would never give something to the Son that would wear out or that he would lose or wouldn't be there. You've given them, look around the room, look in a mirror, hard for us to believe. It's given as a gift. Father, this is the gift you've given me out of the unsaved world. Keep them. Keep them, Father. I'm no longer in the world. They are. So the first word there, keep, speaks of security. It's watch out for. It's keep your eyes on. You know, the, the, uh, keep your eyes on them. Keep guarding them is the idea. 
Father, do that, because he's going to say, when I was there, I did it. So he says, Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one even as we are. So two things he asked here. One, that the Father in heaven would keep us. That's happening today as we sit here. How many people do you know that deflected from the faith? They walked away, they badmouthed God and all, and they just got the tar beat out of them in the world. And when they come back, they're limping. They don't look like much, but they come back to their Savior again. In fact, you and I both know people right now that are out there. You can kind of look and say, well, either they were never saved in the first place or they're cruising for a bruising, you know. And because God loves them, he's going to have his way with them. And because they are some that were given to the son, their father's going to keep them and they're not going to be lost. Because that keeping is not based on their character, but on the father's character. I love that. That's the first part of his request. Keep them. Second part is that they may be one, even as you and I are one. There would be a divine oneness. Something hard for us to understand as we are. A divine, otherworldly unity. Look, the New Testament doesn't know anything about isolated Christians, isolated believers. The New New Testament only knows about us in fellowship. Wherever you hear about saints, you hear about fellowship. It doesn't even, you know, embrace the idea, well, somebody's homesick, somebody's in the hospital, somebody's going through something, they're alone, they're isolated. No, they're not. Because that's when the church really demonstrates what the church is. When you get to that person, you pray for them, you give them a blanket, you make a dinner for them, you care for those who are shut in. You know, the idea is that we would be one the way that he and the Father are one. It's miraculous. It's as miraculous as his keeping of us. And he's saying that he wants that to happen so that we would reflect what's happened with him. Look, anyone who sows discord or causes division in the body of Christ is working against the prayer of Jesus Christ here. They're working against his will. And it's sad when anybody sows discord in the body of Christ or causes division because the heart of our Savior is that we would be one. That, you know, that goes beyond all of our differences in this world. You think of how easily the church becomes divided because of outside stuff and pressures. And as soon as the trumpet blows, we step into heaven. There are going to be no divisions. None of the things that matter here are going to matter there that divide us. And the Lord, look, he's praying to the Father. This is speaking out loud, he says, so it will be written down because his prayer is what God the Son is saying to God the Father. Number one is that he would keep us, guard us, protect us. And number two, that we would be one. Doesn't mean you never bang heads with somebody. Doesn't mean you ever never make a mistake. Doesn't mean that when the service is over, we all float out the door. The, the idea is there's something to be acknowledged in our oneness. 
When you sin against someone, you go and you ask forgiveness. If you think somebody is offended at you, you go and you talk to them. We are to maintain the unity. We should be endeavoring to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We should have, it says, the unity of the faith. There's a oneness, one faith, one baptism, one doctrine, one Lord, one destiny. There's a oneness that we're to share and to enjoy. And he says it here. I'm praying for those two things, their keeping and their oneness. And in verse 12, he says, while I was with them, he's saying to the Father, while I was with them in the world, I kept them. I was keeping them. I was watching over them in thy name. Because you had given them to me, I watched over in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, then he says, I have kept. And that word kept is a little different than the two words for keeping before that, which means to watch over to guard. This word is more active in the sense I, that I have kept, I have protected. I protected them. Think of all the pressures that came on these 11 men and how many times Jesus protected them. How many times Jesus stepped in front of the, the trouble. Even in chapter 18, he's going to say to the soldiers, let these go. They have nothing to do with it. He says, Father, when I was with them, I guarded them. I watched over them and those that you gave me, and I have protected them. And he says this, None of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, by the way, that's a pretty remarkable statement. None of them is lost. You know, when you know, know a family, a mom or dad that has 11 kids, and they can say, none of them is lost, that's pretty remarkable. If they say, yeah, you know... I, Ten are just really welcome to the Lord, but that but ain't bad. Only one's out there doing, you know. Jesus says, remarkably, not one of them is lost. Same word as perdition. Not one of them has gone to perdition. But the son of perdition that the scriptures might be fulfilled. It doesn't say, if your translation says, except the son of perdition, I, I haven't lost any except this one. Father, that ain't too bad. I mean, I got most of the guys in, just this one. That's not what it says. It doesn't say except. He says, none of the ones you gave me is lost. What it means, none of the ones you gave me have gone to perdition. The only one it has is one you have not given me. Judas, the son of perdition, that phrase only used of the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the only other place we have son of perdition in the New Testament. And he's not called the son of perdition because he went to perdition. He's called the son of perdition because he was born in perdition. And in Acts chapter 1, when they're choosing a replacement, they said, and Judas went to his place. It was predetermined. It's not, it says, according to the scripture, this happened. It's not deterministic. It doesn't say he had to go that way. No, according to the scripture, because the scripture is the divine foreknowledge of God that saw all of this play out. He says, I haven't lost any of them. None of them. 
None of them is lost, going to perdition. Doesn't say except, but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. There's a purpose in it. There's something that he says here. And by the time the day would be over, Judas would be dead and damned before Jesus gave up his spirit on the cross. He was the son of perdition. This is not, are you listening? This is not an example of a believer who loses their faith. That's not what Judas is. There's a predetermination here. There's a divine foreknowledge here. You and I, the prayer for us is not keep them if you don't, Father. They're gone. No, the prayer for us is like this. Not one of them is lost. Not one. Father, Holy Father, would you keep them in your name? I kept them and I protected them. And they're all there. None of them are gone. But the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now, verse 13, I come, it's and now I am already coming to thee. He sees that it's happening. He's in it. It's, you know, it's surrounded him. Now I am coming to thee. And these things I speak, underline that, these things I speak. He could have gone alone and prayed quietly to the Father, but he says here, I'm making these things audible. These things I speak, he says, in the world, here in this existence, here's the purpose clause, the reason why he's speaking out loud is that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He says, I'm praying out loud because I want them to know. I'm praying out loud because I want them to understand. I'm not not praying for the world because the world's not here. I'm praying for them. And I want them to know, Holy Father, you keep them in your name. I want them to live with that security. Because you know what? When you and I are, are, you know, Living and, and we don't feel secure and wondering, has God forsaken us? That's a terrible thing to go through. You know, if you're out there playing fast and loose and, and deliberately compromising sin, I hope you do worry. I hope you get ulcers. I hope you don't sleep. Because I love you. But, you know, but if as God's children, he doesn't want us living with that constant nagging of this all being completed because of something in our character. He says, Holy Father, keep them through thy character. So we have joy. There's joy in that. And he says, I want them to know that they're kept. I kept them when I was with them. I protected them. I want them to know that they are being kept. And I want them to be one, Father, as we are. And he says, He says, that's why I'm seeking you. I'm saying these things out loud, he says, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So he says here, this prayer that he puts before us today, you sit alone with it. Read it. 
He's saying, you know, verse 1, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, speaks up audibly. He reiterates that here in verse 13, where he says, these things I am speaking, literally. I am presently speaking. The idea is the guys are gathered around and they're listening to it. That's why we have a copy of it. If he was alone and prayed, John would have never been able to write this. And he said, the reason why I'm speaking it is because I want my joy fulfilled in them, that my joy might be fulfilled in themselves. That's what he wants for us. The world is crazy. We see what's happening around us. You know, sadly, some people that are not believers think, well, you become a Christian, you you lose all your fun. You, You know, you can't become a Christian. You can't get venereal disease. You can't get AIDS. You can't get cirrhosis of the liver. You can't, yeah. God, all he wants to do is take away your joy. He wants to ruin everything for you. No, no. He's saying, I'm saying these things out loud so they'll know. Guys, I'm saying these things out loud because I want them to know that I'm keeping them. And Father, that you're going to keep them according to your character. I want them to hear this because I want them to be one in this. This is something that that I'm giving to them. And Father, I'm saying it out loud because I want those you've given me to have joy, the joy that I have. I want them to have it. His joy at that time was he could see home. He was going home. He'd be back in three days for a short stay, but he was going, going home. And that's what he wants for us. I read through it, you know, and the thing, one of the things that really sticks out to me is that my security is based on my Holy Father's nature, character, not on my own character. I would never want to try to get to heaven based on my own character. Would you? All right. Don't shake your head. Yes, we see it. We know. <laughs> Pride won't get you in. So uh, it's, it's great security for us to go through this prayer and to hear the conversation between God the Son and God the Spirit and God the Father. Remarkable. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Lord, we look into these things, and I'm sure, Lord, in some ways, Lord, we're not even scratching the surface, Lord. How could we? All of this is divine, and we're still, Lord, in these human frames, we're still limited in ways because we're not yet glorified. And yet... You deliberately put things here so that we could have them. Lord, take this. Distribute it individually, Lord. You know each of us. You know the things that we struggle with. You know the doubts that we have. And you know, Lord, how we might have joy. So we put it before you, Lord. We trust you. We believe we're praying according to your will, Lord Jesus, and for your glory. And we do pray in your name. Amen.